Well, amen, and good morning, North River family. Hey, how about we say welcome home to each other? I got some good news for you. Best news I heard this week is that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and we're still celebrating him. That's the best news. Second best news that I heard is that AP and Sandy Petty are moving back to Atlanta. That, that is some good news, and we are in uh, a series called Unleashed, where we're talking about the Holy Spirit working in the lives of our early brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the book of Acts. And so, the assignment for us, if you haven't gotten on this already, is to read the book of Acts. This week, open it up, read it through. You can get through it about in the time that you would take to watch a Netflix, you know, movie or something, and kind of dig in and see how the Holy Spirit is unleashed. Because Jesus said, uh, or Luke said, when he wrote in the very beginning of the book of Acts, he says, uh, I wrote to you in my former book, which of course was Luke, all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And the idea is, the inference is, Jesus is still teaching. He's still doing, but now he's not there in person. He sent his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is now being working through all people who believe in him to accomplish his will. This is a, this is a powerful thing, an amazing thing. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit is going to do and wants to do is to unleash you and me. And so what we're talking about this morning, it's a, it's a sermon title that I was given a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago by our curriculum committee as we went through the book of Acts and focusing on the Holy Spirit. The idea is the Holy Spirit moves us out of our comfort zone. I want you to think about what you read in the book of Acts and you see these early Christians and their transformation in their lives. And to see how so much of this is really involved in what Jesus said, if anybody comes after me, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me because so much of living out the Christian life, of letting God's spirit live in you and move through you is doing things that are very unnatural for us and way out of our comfort zone. Think about praying for your enemies. Think about when you want to complain to pray instead. Think about when you're threatened with persecution and being thrown in jail or worse, to be able to keep, keep proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord. Think about when, uh, when everything is going wrong in your life and you suffer loss and you suffer grief, instead of pulling within and, and just thinking about yourself, looking for ways that you can serve other people. We, we, it's how we began the series in the book of Pentecost where we talked about God's Spirit now being available and being poured out for all people. You see, in the past, the Holy Spirit would come upon a prophet and he would prophesy. He would come upon a judge like Samson and he would do great mighty works, but it would come and it would go and it would be for selected people. But in Acts chapter 2, when the prophecy of Joel was fulfilled, the Holy Spirit was then poured out and made available for everybody had nothing to do with how good-looking you were, how rich you were, what caste system you were in. It was available to you, and you would have the life of God living and pulsing within you, but it would allow you, it would move you to be able to do God's will. And there was this great 
passage I think that Nick referred to last week. Didn't Nick do a great job last Sunday? I mean, that was amazing as we talked about not just Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being poured out, not just how the Holy Spirit changes our life, and you see it through the book of Acts, and Kendall talked about how it had changed his life a few weeks ago. Not only is it that Holy Spirit that produces the greatest of all things in our life, love, Chase zeroed in on that. Sean Wooten helped out a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, what does the Holy Spirit do in your life? It gives you not bios or psyche, your emotions or your mental state or how, what's going on physically in your body. It gives you Zoe life. The life of God lived out through your, 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 your body, your mind, and your soul. And when Jesus said this on the great and last day of the feast, and he said, if anybody believes in me, you're going to have rivers of living water flowing out of you. And he said, this way he was referring to the Spirit that had not yet been given yet because Jesus hadn't been glorified. Well, what the experience of life for a disciple is when we're yielded to God, it's like a river of living water in your life. It's not just getting into a river up to your ankles or getting up to your knees and splashing around. It's actually getting into the river and let it take you where it wants to take you. We like having our feet squarely on bottom and being in control of our lives. And God is wanting to move us in the direction he wants us to go. And this was prophesied a long time ago in the book of Ezekiel chapter 36 as you look through this passage. It, the time was going to come where God would not only forgive us of our sins, but he'd give us a new heart inside to be able to care and love in a different kind of way, but not alone with that. He was going to give a new spirit. He's going to put his spirit in us. The time is going to come. And it will move us to do what God wants us to do. It will lead us to do what God wants us to do. It won't be us just calling the shots anymore, but in partnership with God, being able to accomplish all of these things. And in this great commission that Jesus gave on that mount, you know, in Matthew chapter 28, he, he reaffirms all authority is his. He's Lord. He gives the most amazing, audacious mission possible to go into all the world and make followers of Jesus. But he says the most important part, he says, and I will be what? With you until the very end. This is what it means to have God's Holy Spirit with us, among us, and in us, that God is inside of us and continually with us. This is not a new thing. It's not even close to being new. You remember, this is what God said to Isaac. As he said, just as I was with Abraham, I will be with you, Isaac. It's what he said to Jacob. Jacob with not a great heart. He was kind of a liar and like a conniver. But he says to Jacob the same thing, and I will be with you, Jacob, and I will help you accomplish all that I've set out for you to do. He said it to Moses. He said it to Joshua, faced with this Herculean task that they were given to do where they couldn't do it on their own power. He said, and I will be with you. To Gideon, who was so insecure about trying to lead God's people, he said, I will be with you, and you will smite down the Midianites. In Jeremiah, again and again and again, I will be with you in that passage in Isaiah chapter 42 that so many of us love. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. They won't overwhelm you. And he's talking about the time in every human being's life when it just seems like you got too much to handle. And God says, in those times, I will be with you. 
And when he told Paul in Corinth, as he was surrounded by enemies and persecution and the threat of his own life, Jesus appeared to him and he said, Paul, he said, I will be with you and no one will be able to harm you. I have many people in this city. What does it mean where God says over and over and over and over again, not just to this big crowd, but to you in particular, I will be with you. What's he talking about? He's talking about by his spirit that is living inside of you. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, make him Lord, repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ, whether you feel it or not, God's spirit is in you. It doesn't mean you weigh an extra pound or two, you know, or can dunk a basketball now, but it means that the life of God is in you and can pulsate and flow through you if you will allow it to move you out of your comfort zone. And you can see this, wow, all through, all through the Bible. We have a new mission statement um, here at North River that the staff and the elders and several of you worked on. And I'm only going to give you the first five words. We partner with God's Spirit. Can we get an amen on that? Because whatever we do, it's in partnership with God's spirit within and among us. And we'll let you know the rest of the mission statement a little bit later on. A piece at a time, it's, it's shorter than the other one, but it's longer than love God, love people, and change the world, okay? And it encapsulates so much of our heart and what we want to be able to do together. I, I, I guess one of the ultimate examples of this is this guy we mentioned before, Moses. You remember Moses? He is now 80 years old. He's out living in, out, way out in the outskirts outside uh, of where he, he grew up. And God appears to him in this very unusual way. It's a burning bush. And Moses is a place in his life where he really notices it. And he hears God calling his name, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. God goes on to tell him, I've heard the prayers of my people who've been praying night and day and are suffering in Egypt. And I'm going to deliver them out of bondage, and you're the man, you're going to do it. Now, Moses was not overly excited at this point. That was a touch out of his comfort zone. But Moses said, what, I mean, the way we would put it, are you crazy? I mean, that's ridiculous. Who am I? I'm just an 80-year-old codger out here in the podunk nowhere. And I'm supposed to go deliver a couple of million people out of the most powerful nation in the world. And God said, what? Familiar, isn't it? I will be with you. You know, he says, every time God says something to us, when we read it in the Bible, when we hear it maybe in a sermon, when we just sense it in his life and his leading, and he's calling us to do something that we absolutely cannot do on our own power and will, the voice we need to hear in our life is, I will be with you. You won't be alone. Now, does that work at that point with Moses? No. He starts arguing with God. Two chapters of them going back and forth. And he goes, well, what am I supposed to tell these people your name is? And God says, just tell them I am sent you. And then he goes, what if they don't believe me? Why are they going to believe me? So, well, you see that rod you got? Throw it down, and it became a serpent. If they don't believe that, put your hand inside your cloak, and it comes out, and it's leprous. If they don't believe that, get a cup of water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, and it'll turn to blood, and then they'll follow and listen to you. And Moses said, but I don't know how to talk. 
And what does God say? I will be with your mouth. And if you read it more carefully, I made your mouth. And then finally Moses says, send somebody else. At that point, God gets what? Ticked. <laughs> Mad. And he says, stop. I'm going to give you Aaron. Let him talk. Get out of here and get going. <laughs> That's how it gets. Because what's going on? For Moses and like all of us, life, Zoe, the life of God. Not just your own bios and your own mental thing, but the life of God that can flow through you begins at the end of your comfort zone. Do I have a comfort zone? Oh, yes, you do. We all do. What's a comfort zone? Well-known psychological fact. And, you know, it's just where you feel familiar. The space where you are and you think you're in control. But the problem with this Whereas it minimizes risk, and you have a little bit more safety and maybe ease in your life, you simply cannot grow there. And in fact, you start shriveling up and shrinking, particularly if there's somebody who's trying to follow God and trying to follow Christ, you know, in, uh, you know, in your life. The Holy Spirit is working with us to get us out of this comfort zone. And in this is example of Moses, because we've got a couple of chapters, you just see God trying to work with Moses to get him to stop trying to be in control of everything and to be able to trust that God, in fact, is and will be with him. You know, there was an under, anybody uh, alive in 1956? I actually was. Anybody? Got a few hands up, you know, going up. There was a movie quite famous about Moses. It was called The Ten Commandments. You probably watched it and seen it on TV before. You remember who the actor was who played Moses? A guy named Charlton Heston. Okay, so you watched the movies. There you go. Okay, and then uh, there's a director named William Wyler who was really inspired by this. And he, he, he wanted to make an epic movie as well with a Christian kind of theme. And he chose uh, uh, Charlton Heston to also be in that movie. It was called Ben-Hur. And, you know, Charlton Heston was one of those guys, testosterone-filled, hunky, powerful, manly man, right? I mean, uh, you just see those pictures of, uh, wow, you know, this is, this is a strong dude, okay? And he's very athletic. And, but he had a challenge. And uh, if you'll no, notice, uh, remember, the centerpiece of this whole movie is this incredible chariot race. Do you remember? I mean, that, that, it's not quite Tom Cruise, you know, with Top Gun, you know, you know last Maverick movie. But it's hot, okay? It's powerful. And one of the challenges, you ever tried to, to race a chariot? <laughs> it's not like driving your Honda down to, you know, Trader Joe's, okay? It's very difficult. And I've got a little noise going on. That just helps me know where am I at as I get excited about things. Um, he had trouble. He kept sliding off the chariot. And uh, the director asked him, you know, Charlton, what's the problem? And he said, well, I'm trying to look like I'm really in control and winning this race and, you know, tough guy. You know, I mean, who I need to be. But I, I, I get distracted and I start, foot starts slipping and I start slipping out of the chariot. And uh, he went on practice for a couple of weeks, and finally, he was still not getting it uh, completely. And he, he went up to William Wyler, and he said, listen, I think I, I, think I can stay in the chariot. I, th I think I can, I can drive this chariot, but I'm not sure I can win the race. 
And the director, William Wyler, looked him in the eye and said, Charlton, it's your job to stay in the chariot. It's my job to make sure you win the race. Isn't it like that with us and God? It, it's our job to stay in the game, to not quit, to not give up, to be willing to stretch ourselves in our, out of our comfort zones. But it's God's job by his spirit to be able to help make all of this, uh, you know, take place, you know, in, uh, you know, in our life. This is something I think that's very, very important, you know, for all of us because here's the thing about Moses and about me and you. Moses was a good man, but just existing. Bios, biology, not living. That's the way it was with Peter, Simon Peter. That's the way it was with Mary Magdalene. That's the way it was with John, with Saul of Tarsus. They were existing, but they weren't living the Zoe life of God with God's spirit leading and pulsating and working with them. How about me and you? Same way with me and you, right? Hey, we can exist, we can get by, but are we living? Truly life, you know, making that kind of progress, you know, in, uh, you know, in our life. I'm, uh, I, I'm going to invite my son Ryan to come up, and he's going to share this sermon with me, okay? Um, yeah, and he's going to be sharing from a little different perspective and a little different generation about what it means to try to live the life of God outside your comfort zone. Ryan. Let's welcome Ryan. Amen. Thank you. So in Acts 20, uh, verse 22, Paul tells us uh, one of the most wonderful things about the Spirit. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city... The Holy Spirit warns me that hardships are facing me. So, yeah, a lot of people may think, wow, Kingdom Kid must be such a great life, right? And I'm not here to complain. It, it is a great life. But, you know, God's Spirit over the years has definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone, sometimes into entire other countries. And, but I made a really big mistake when I was a kid especially growing up a kingdom kid, because I didn't always understand what the Spirit was. I, I made a huge mistake thinking that the Spirit of God was kind of like magic in the Lord of the Rings, where the enemy's coming, and you pray to God, and God does a miracle, and all your problems are solved. And so I just kind of expected as I went through life that God would solve all my problems especially when I did what he wanted. So I was baptized when I was 14 years old, total kingdom kid. I was the only disciple in my high school, but I was really full of the spirit at that time. And I was like, all right, God, we're just going to baptize everyone in my high school, right? That was my, my small goal. And I was sure God was going to change the world through me. So I just invited everyone I knew to church, brought all my friends to church. And guess how many people got baptized? Zero. 
So uh, it was not an encouraging time going through high school. And unfortunately, I also had a situation where a teen leader there in L.A. was really harsh with me, kind of scarred me emotionally, and really messed me up, messed up my thinking for many years. I started thinking that God didn't love me. I felt like I was worthless. I felt like if people weren't getting baptized, it was me. And God didn't love me. He wasn't rewarding me. And, you know, I didn't ever think, well, maybe they're not getting baptized because they're 14 years old. <laughs> their kids won't, uh, their parents won't allow them to come to church. And I, I, I thought it was something wrong with me. I thought it was all about me. And I started to learn this lesson that maybe it's not all about me. But, you know, 20 years later, uh, one of the friends from high school, one of my best friends from high school at our 20-year high school reunion came up and said, hey, guess what? I became a Christian because of you. He was one of those kids. His parents stopped him, uh, stopped allowing him to come to church with me. And it, it was amazing. And I realized, you know, I never knew God's spirit was working despite me and despite my bad attitude and my pride, thinking it was about me. But, you know, my expectations didn't end there. I went to college, and I'd heard these stories of my parents having this amazing campus ministry and just miracles every day, and just people are falling out of the roof getting baptized everywhere, just people getting baptized, and they're, they're all getting married, and they're having the best time, and it's like this in incredible thing. And, you know, what did I get when I went, got to college? I got the Henry Creed letter. Some of you know what that is. So uh, about half the church fell away and just left. And then all these people who were my heroes and people I'd looked up to, I just, I saw everything fall apart around me. And I thought, and my best friend who I grew up with, you know, most of my life fell away and left. And I thought, you know, um, yeah, maybe, maybe I don't trust this church thing. You know, may, maybe I don't trust these people. Um, so I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna follow what the, what the Bible said, religion is pure and faultless. I'm, I'm just gonna serve the poor. I'm gonna try that. Because none of this else, none of this other stuff seems to be working, right? So, uh, again, I'm thinking that it's about me. So I, I, I got inspired by the Spirit. I said, all right, I'm just, I'm gonna go to Russia. I'm gonna be an unpaid volunteer, uh, with Hope Worldwide. And I, so I sold my stuff, sold my car, bought a one-way ticket to Moscow, Russia, and ended up working there and volunteering in orphanages for about three years in Russia and Ukraine. And I, and I paid my way by being an English teacher. And uh, it was a cool experience, but I was like, surely God's going to show me miracles here, right? I don't really, ha I have like no money, I have nothing else to give up. So now I'm going to see the magic. I want to see the magic. I should have remembered that when Frodo took the ring and went on that journey, it was like horrible. <laughs> he like almost died a thousand times, almost got eaten by a giant spider, right? Sometimes we can feel like our lives are like that. So I, I, I got to have this amazing experience uh, in Ukraine built lifelong relationships. It, it, Kiev Church is amazing. Sean Wooten and his family are amazing. Uh, but I kept expecting miracles to happen for me. Like maybe, like, maybe I could get married, something like that, you know? Uh, I kept looking for stuff for me. 
And, uh, you know, I definitely got way more out of serving the poor than I gave to them. But I expected to, like, change their lives, right? And it was like, it was okay. I taught them some English. So, you know, I didn't feel like God was doing enough. And, and then do you know how that ended? Global economic collapse, and I had to go home. Some of you have heard of the, you know, global economics collapse we had in 2008, 2009. Uh, so I, I come back home. Uh, I come back home to the States. I say, all right, God's telling me go back to Atlanta. So surely I'll see miracles here in Atlanta. And it seemed like it was happening. Uh, move in with my parents, uh, start, uh, join the Atlanta Singles. I started up an internet startup uh, with some programmers from Russia. And things started to go really well. Uh, I built the startup into a multi-million dollar company in a few years. It's one of the fastest growing websites on the internet, top 500 in the world. I started dating. It was my first girlfriend in my life. I was 29 years old. And I was like, finally God is making it about me, right? I'm finally, the spirit is finally helping me. Uh, but guess what? It wasn't about me. Uh, one year later, my 30th birthday, I had broken up with my girlfriend. She had fallen away. I had lost my job. The Russians had stolen all the equity from me and the company. I was penniless. I was homeless. I was living on a friend's couch. And I was stuck in a city I didn't like. I was in Los Angeles uh, in a legal battle because I was paying for all the things the Russians had bought, uh, like a car and an apartment, uh, wondering, like, God, why did you bring me here? I don't even like L.A. I got out. Of, I went to Russia. I would rather live in Russia than live in L.A. <laughs> Why am I stuck here? Am, am I here just to suffer? Like, wh what are you doing with my life? And my faith really, really, really struggled after that. Because, again, I'm thinking it's about me. And, you know, I started... I, had a time where I was going to other churches. I dated someone who wasn't a Christian. It's not a good experience. But a little while later, you know, my sister went through a really painful divorce and she lived out there near LA and she was going to get kicked out of her apartment with her two kids. And by that time I had started a new company. It was doing okay. So I said, you know, I'm just going to move in with my sister and help her take care of her two kids. And that turned out to be, it wasn't fun, <laughs> but that turned out to be one of the most meaningful experiences of our lives for our family. And I started a little bit to realize that maybe this isn't all about me, that maybe God's calling me to help other people, and that maybe the Spirit's not my magic potion or my lottery ticket that maybe it's doing something else and calling me to something else. So then my sister got stabilized and the spirit called again and said, okay, I'm moving back to Atlanta. And I'm so excited. I'm like, all right, I love this church, love the singles ministry, great friends. Uh, it's time for me to do some dating, right? Build great relationships. Like this is going to be my time, right? So I'm looking for a place to get here in, in Atlanta. And one month later, the entire world shuts down and no one's allowed to go outside of their houses. <laughs> so I'm turning 40 years old, living in my parents' two-bedroom condo. Can't go outside. And 
it, it turned out actually to be one of the most meaningful times that we've ever had together. And some of you know, my mom almost passed away of COVID. And so to be there for the family in that situation brought us closer than we've probably ever been. And I wouldn't give up that time for anything. And so what I started to realize about the Spirit is the Spirit sends you places. And it sends you way out of your comfort zone. And it sends you to work. It sends you to get something done. Not for you, for someone else. And a lot of times you don't even know what you're doing there. And you won't know for years later why you were there. But it sends you to help other people. And, you know, when you're 14 years old and you're giving your life to God, you may want to realize what that means and go, oh, maybe God's serious. Maybe he really is asking me to serve him. And on the one hand, you could go, wow, Ryan, that your life was, sounds really rough. But th that's not the point. I want zero pity, zero pity, because I wouldn't change any of it. And my life, on the other hand, has been incredibly epic. I've been to 20 countries, done things I could never have done otherwise, and been, been had the honor to serve people I would never have even met before. And the main thing is, if I had kept thinking it was about me, I might have missed all of it. And I'm just so grateful for my parents that they led me down this path. Um, but just remember, don't make my mistake. It's, it's not about us. <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> Stay up here. <laughs> I don't know, did Ryan share the good news? Come a little closer that he, he, he does have a girlfriend. How about that, you oh, know? <laughs> and, I, and I met her because of the pandemic. Oh, he met her because of the pandemic doing, uh, you know, online Zoom dates, you know. Uh, she's from Italy and moving here in about a month. So that's kind of, you know, kind of cool. Um, the um, unleashed, God's promise, I will be with you. But the idea is for us not just to stay in our comfort zone, but to allow him, like the scripture says, to move us. You know, I have uh, Kelly and, and Ryan here with me right now because, you know, we're going to be going through a, uh, you know, transition, you know, as well. Um, some of you guys know this. About five years ago, Kelly and I talked to our elders, and, you know, we were, uh, I think we were 65 then, and, um, you know, still felt like we had, had some good juice. I mean, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick were the same age I was, you know, and still are, you know, so, hey, you can still do stuff. But, uh, you know, but just realizing, you know, as time went on, uh, we, we talked about, you know, when we get to, if we're still healthy and able to do our work, if we get to where we're 70, you know, years old, we think like we probably need to go, if there been a part-time, not retire, but go part-time, okay, and open up, you know, um, you know, our salary so we can hire some other new people and help uh, our present staff increase their roles and their incomes and those kind of things and just continue to give the next generation their opportunities to help be able to lead. So uh, uh, we're 70. That's happening in about seven days. You know, um, we're going part-time. Uh, are we moving anywhere? No. We're 100%, 110% North River. We're here. 
I don't even play golf. You know, we don't have a second, we don't have a second house anywhere or a job or whatever. We're right here. However, we're going to be doing a little bit more from the, you know, behind the scenes more, you know, and on more, a little part-time basis, get to see our grandkids more, all of that. That, that, that honestly is, is a little out of our comfort zone too. And it's a little awkward a, a little bit. And then uh, our only retirement is Social Security and our 401k, and it got hit like been smashed up the last, you know, you know, four or five months. That's a little scary, you know, like that. And you have a few moments, but you know, we really want to, our whole family, for Kelly and me, honestly, Kelly's whole life has had to be out of her comfort zone being hooked with me and, you know, and with Ryan and our sister Ashley, <laughs> you know, she'll share about that at another time. And I just want to really encourage you from the scripture, from the great examples of people you have around you, from God living within your own heart, to, to trust that you can do this, that God can get us, all of us out of our comfort zones and to really be able to follow him. And the next time you really doubt that, just, just remember a few things. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Moses couldn't talk. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Jeremiah was too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was an emotional basket case. Elijah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job was bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. All the apostles fell asleep while trying to stay with Jesus. Rahab was a prostitute. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman had several, you know, marriages that fell apart. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too unreliable, obnoxious, and judgmental. Timothy had an usher, uh, ulcer, and Lazarus was dead. You know, and when you, when you remember all of that, but here's the thing, for each and every one of those men and women, God called them out of their comfort zone to come alive and to follow him, to trust him and his spirit to get the job done and to finish the race, to believe that he was and would be with them, and that the best was yet to come. Let's pray for communion. Let's pray for communion. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for your uh, presence here today. We remember Jesus and celebrate his life. Thank you for the partnership we have with the Holy Spirit. And just pray that as we take this communion, that we'll be feel, filled with faith, belief, trust, and deep gratitude for everything you have done and will continue to do uh, for us in our lives. We know it's not about us. It's all about you, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.